How is everyone this morning? Bring it. I am just talking to the front row for the rest of the morning, so you guys can all feel free to fall asleep like you normally do. And I'm, I'm just going to talk to these guys because these guys are our young adults and our youth and the passionate people of the house. But can we have some passion from the back as well? Come on, come, let's make some noise at the back. Thank you. Because, you know, guys, you are an example to these guys. So if you guys are, are not passionate and driving forward and hanging on to the things of God, then, then these guys are looking to you and they're going, what are they doing? How do they make Christianity work? How do they face tough times? What do they do when things get difficult? How do they hang on? What do they do in their marriage? What do they do? And if we don't hang on to Jesus then they start to fall apart. There's this book in Joshua and it says, there's a book called Joshua and it says, and after that generation, there arose another generation that knew not the things of the Lord. And I just wanna say, we want these guys to know the things of God. In fact, we want everyone to know the grace, the mercy, the compassion, the love, the kindness, the things of God. And I'm, I know to this morning there's people maybe here today and you're like, I'm not sure if I believe. That's okay. There was this guy one time and Barry came over and reminded me of it. He said there was this guy one time and his son was struggling and he went to Jesus' disciples and said, you know, can you heal my son? And they couldn't do anything and there was this back and forth and this arguing with the Pharisees and then Jesus comes down the mountain and he says, what, what are you arguing about? He says, oh, we brought our son to you and you know, your disciples couldn't do anything. And he goes on, he says, you know, but if you can do anything, if you can do anything, if you can do anything, then heal him. And Jesus looks at him and says, if, I love that word, if, if I can. And he looks at him in Mark chapter 9. He says, all things are possible. All things are possible. All things are possible. All things are possible. All things all things are possible. My marriage is struggling. All things are possible. My business is failing. All things are possible. My bank balance is looking bad. All things are possible. The scales say that I'm fat, but all things are possible to those who believe. And I love the honesty of the Father. And He says, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. God, I have, I have some belief, but would you help me in the areas where I don't trust you? Isn't that an honest prayer to pray? Lord, I'm believing you. I'm here. I'm seeking. I want something. Lord, I believe you. But would you help me in my unbelief? In those areas that I haven't trusted you yet, would you help me? And I want to encourage you, whether you're 8 or 80, whether you're 9 or 90, I don't know how much further I can go. But I want to encourage you to pray that prayer. Lord, I believe but there's areas in my life that when times of trouble and difficulty come, I struggle with hanging on to that hope. And so, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Grow me in those areas. Strengthen me. Equip me. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. All right, we got free tea and coffee outside. So I'm just kidding. I've got a whole message. That wasn't it. We are talking on mission, so let me just do this really quickly. Welcome. I'm so glad whether you turned up or tuned in. If you haven't been here, just talking to the online audience, if you guys have never been here, I hope you're enjoying online. We work really hard and we're getting better and better at producing some online content that blesses you in your home. But if you've never been here and part of this house and part of these people, can I invite you to come? We would love to host you, wouldn't we? Yes. Can everyone say yes really loudly so they can hear? Yes. 
Hey, you go see that? They just want to hang out with you, to get to know you, to build relationship with you. And so we would love to host you in the house and have tea and coffee and fellowship with you on the deck. All right, that's number one. Number two, it is missions month. And so every year at this time of year, for the last nearly 20 years, not quite, but nearly 20 years, we have taken up a missions offering. We want to bless those in Zimbabwe. We want to bless those who are in Japan. We want to be a blessing. We are blessed to bless them. And we go, guys, you're overseas. You're working in a strange country with a strange culture and strange food and strange language, and you're doing it tough. You've left your family. You've left your friends. You've done so many things already, and we just want to be a part of your journey, and we want to take up an offering and bless them. Is that cool? So my encouragement every year, this time of year, is why don't you sit with your wife or your husband and pray and say, God, what do you want us to give this year? What, what, what are you putting on our hearts that we can give? At the end of the month, we are going to take up a special offering just to bless our missionaries at Christmas. So we're going to pray that prayer. What do you want us to give? And, and then we're going to save up. You know, I believe in being a good steward of the finances God gives us. So some of you may have to save up. Some of you could go, we're going to go without our coffee every day of the week for three weeks, and then we're going to give that money. That's it. Some of you are going to give hundreds. Some are going to give thousands. I know we bless them every single year. And so I encourage you to pray, to seek God, and to ask what he wants you to give. That's it. Am I going to check you personally? Am I looking in at people go, oh, the church is always asking for your money? Well, I'm not. I'm asking for your money for them, not for me. Now, if you do want to give money to me, that's fine. Can we put my... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that is a joke. That's a joke. All right. Today's Missions Month. So last week we talked about some of our missionaries. Today I want to talk to you about missions. I want to talk to you about pudding, and here we go. I've got my little line this morning. Are you ready? If I can do this well, it's going to work really well. If it doesn't, it's just going to work really badly, really. So at this point, I'm going to pull this out and just go. Today, my title of this message, this is for Dan, who's going to launch us on podcasts again this week, is let's put the I back into missions. And when I look at this I, I think I gets really big sometimes, doesn't it? We, we all say, you know, like we love our missionaries. We love the guys who do good things for Jesus. We love those people who are making a big difference. But what I want to talk to you this morning about, and I'm going to put it just here. What I want to talk to you this morning is putting the I back into missions. Because I think we get caught up in thinking missions is what happens over there. It's what somebody else does over there. When they leave here, they go there and they become a missionary. But I actually want to disagree. I think the truth is each and every one of you who have called on the name of the Lord, just to preface it, you're already commissioned, anointed and ordained and called to become a missionary. You have missions as your focus. And somehow we've got to get the greatest message ever told beyond these four walls. It's not good enough to come and sit on a Sunday and warm a patch of pew and go, this is just spectacular, which it is. But if the message never gets beyond these four walls, there is an entire community hurting and hungry for the message of hope and the message of grace and the message of love and compassion. So somehow 
We've got to get the eye and put it back into missions. We've got to get you guys anointed, appointed, encouraged, empowered, inspired to go, I'm going out into my mission field. I'm going out to make a difference. I'm going to do what the Lord has called me to do. I am going to make a difference where God plants me and where God sends me. Can I have an amen to that? Because here's the next thing. You ready? We go, yes. Who wants to do that? Who thinks they're called to make a difference? Okay, half of you. Who thinks they're not called to make a difference? We'll chat to you later. But who thinks they're called to make a massive difference? I believe there are some people, you're called to make a massive difference. You're called to make a massive difference. And if you didn't all put your hand up, let me give you a couple of areas you can make a massive difference. One in your marriage. In your marriage, you are called to make a massive difference. Sometimes I have to be more Christ-like in my marriage in order for my marriage to thrive. Sometimes my wife has to be more Christ-like and gracious toward me in order for our marriage to thrive. In fact, it reminds me of a story, quick story. Jamie and I were fighting when we were just children over the biscuit, you know, the final cookie in the cookie tin. And mum comes in and she goes, boys, 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 stop, stop. What would Jesus do? We both looked at each other. We answered mum. We said, well, you know, truth is Jesus would let the other person have the biscuit. And she said, that's right. And I looked at Jamie, grabbed the biscuit and said, you be Jesus today. And I ate the biscuit. So, <laughs> Let's put the eye back into missions. And this morning I want to talk to you about a guy called Jonah. Who's ever heard of Jonah? Put your hand up if you've ever heard of him. You know, Jonah, he's the guy that the old King James says was swallowed by a whale. I don't know why the Hebrew says it was a big fish, but you know, when you think about the old King James being translated in the 1600s and and they read this and they go, it's a big fish. Well, you can understand how they could get to that. What's the biggest fish they would have seen back in the 1600s? What's the biggest concept or, or, or thought that they would have had? And the only thought that they would have had of a big fish would be a, a whale, right? That makes sense, doesn't it? You know, they're not thinking like a guppy. They're not thinking a goldfish. They're not thinking a tadpole. They're thinking, man, what's the biggest fish I've ever seen? It's a whale. So they write down and translate the word whale. And then we, we find ourselves 2,000 years older later on arguing, oh, the Bible's not true because they wrote the word whale. You idiot. Can I say that? Just, and we end up arguing, I don't like that translation of the Bible. Do you speak Hebrew? No, I don't, but I don't like that. Shut up. Stop arguing over petty points because the story, right, isn't about whether he got swallowed by a whale. Do, you do get that, don't you? Isn't it funny we get so caught up and we're, we're arguing, no, Jordan, it's a big fish. No, Phil, it says a whale and whales can't swallow because they eat this. And No, Jordan, it's a Shut up, please. Stop arguing over petty things and missing the entire story in the process. This is how we put the eye back into missions. When we stop arguing with each other over petty things. There you go, that wasn't even in my notes. Here's another one, you ready? We put the eye back into missions when we do what God tells us to do. We put the eye back into missions when God simply says, do this, and we go, yes, Lord, and we do it. That's how we put the eye back into missions. And we don't wait till he sends us to Japan. We don't wait till he sends us to some foreign country. We, we do it when he says, hey, Phil, would you go to Bible, 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 let's see if I can, Bible, 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 Bible College. And you say, yes, Lord. 
We do it when he says, would you go and take some food to your neighbour who's struggling? And we say, yes, Lord. We do it when we're on a job site and a guy says, I've got a sore knee. And you feel that prompt, pray for his knee. And you say, we do it when we go to the schoolyard and the bully's picking on us and God says, overcome evil with good, return blessing for curses. And we begin to speak well over that person, don't we, Josiah? And we say, that was really enthusiastic, Josiah. That's great. We do it in the little things. Everyone say little things. From little things, big things grow. And if we're not faithful with the little, then we won't be trusted with the big. So we start with the small. And I'm going to get you to turn this morning to Jonah. And we're going to look at Jonah. Oh my gosh. Oh, Phoebe, I love you so much. You are absolutely amazing. And I, that's the one. You are just beautiful. I love you. First of all, let me just apologise. So... I know, we're digressing. I promise I'll get quicker. And you're going to put some timers up so I can keep on time. So really quickly, I walked in this morning. Phoebe, the beautiful person up in our computer this morning, puts all the scriptures up. She looks at me and she says, have you only got three pages today? I'm like, no. She goes, you've got no scriptures. No. So I've got to ring my wife and say, wife, can you go to my computer? Can you open it up? Can you email me the correct sermon so that I will actually have something to share today to this congregation? So we're going to go to Jonah. We're going to give you really quickly the story. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amatai. Go up to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up. And went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and he went on board hoping to escape from the Lord. And and I just want to stop right there this morning. We're just going to dig in a little bit. And we go, who's ever felt God tell them to do something? Come on, put your hand up really high. Let's be bold about this. I believe God talks to us all the time. And who's ever felt God tell us to do something and then not done it? There's a lot more hands. In fact, there's more hands of didn't do it than people who felt God tell them to do it, which is really unusual. But I have. So this morning we're going to look at how did this great prophet find himself in the place where the Lord spoke to him, he understood what he said, and then he didn't do it. See, if we can understand how that happened to him, maybe we could look and find out how it happens to us. Maybe we could see this ancient story found in the scriptures and go, this story isn't just his story. This story is our story. So if the scripture's worth reading, it's worth reading slowly. And we look at the scripture and we understand that God spoke to Jonah. And Jonah knew that God spoke to him. And then Jonah deliberately went a different way. Hmm. So let's do this really quickly. Who's ever felt God speak to them? Great. Who didn't do it? (laughs) You're in good company, aren't you? Why? Real quick, come on, we're going to, otherwise we're going to run out of time. So fear, who said fear? Good job. What else? Who said embarrassment? Good job. What else? Hmm? Forgot? Forgot? 
forgot distracted, right? You just got distracted. You know, like he told me to do it and I just thought, I forgot. Okay, what else? Come on. Pride. <coughs> Pride. What else? Who? What? Laziness. Laziness. Laziness from my daughter. <laughs> that doesn't make anything at all. I'm just, just saying you are my daughter and I love you. Moving on. Then we should stop that one now, right? right? What else? Come on. Hey, jealousy. What else? Anyone else? Oh, I've got a few things this morning I'm going to share with you. And I was hoping somebody would say, number one, inconvenience. You know, who's ever been felt God say, I want you to do this? And you're like, that is definitely inconvenient. Yeah? Right? I, I, and we are prone to living in the Western world. And we are prone, let's be honest, it's not even a Western world problem. Nobody likes to be inconvenient. So sometimes God says, I want you to do this. And we just go... No. Why? Because it's just inconvenient. In fact, I'm going to give you a quick, quick couple of scriptures this morning. In, in Luke chapter 5, verse 4, it says, when he finished speaking, Jesus had stepped into his boat and he, he finishes speaking to the crowds and he, he turns and he says to Simon, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. And Simon turns round, which is now called Peter, turns round and he replied, Lord, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. We worked hard all last night. We didn't catch a thing. How tempting is it in that moment of time to go, no thanks, no thank you. We've worked all night long. I come to the beach, I pull my boat up on the beach and all I want to do is go to bed. And then you got in the boat, you're like, push out a little bit. It's like, all right. And then he's like, okay, I want you to go out into the deep and let down your nets. That is inconvenient. <coughs> but Peter says, Lord, at your word, I'll do it. I wonder how often we miss the blessing of God because it's wrapped up in inconvenience. I wonder how often we fail to put the eye back into mission because it's just inconvenient. Would that be a fair statement? That sometimes we don't do it because it's, it's inconvenient. But I want to tell you this morning, if you're struggling with something and God's asking you to do it and it's inconvenient, the blessing is always on the other side of inconvenience. You get the blessing after you're obedient, not before most of the time. Let me give you number two. I was thinking about this yesterday. I was thinking, number two, you know, it's inconvenient. And sometimes, you ready? Sometimes we just feel like it's inconsequential. Has anyone thought that? You know, Lord, I'd do it, but it's just not a big deal. It just seems so. So can I give you the words that Jonah spoke? He said, get up and go. Jonah 3 verse 2 says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given to you. Deliver the message I've already given to you. Okay, what's the message? What's the message? On, the day, on that day, verse 4, on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Everyone say eight words. Eight. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Eight words. Not exactly the most profound message ever spoken, was it? Wasn't exactly a theological discourse that would shape and change the hearts of the people. Eight simple words. Sometimes he just gives you one word. Sometimes he just gives you a couple. Sometimes he says, just make a meal. Sometimes we miss the significant because it's too simple. Sometimes we think this is so inconsequential, it doesn't really matter. 
So why would I do it? Because on the other side of the inconvenience and the other side of the inconsequential, there is this blessing that will blow your mind. Eight words changed an entire nation. I wonder how many words would it take to change your marriage? Actually, sometimes it would take none. Just keep your mouth shut. Moving on. Prophetic word for somebody. You ready? In an argument, God says to you, Shut up. Don't <laughs> you think I'm joking? That is actually seriously. Somebody this week will be arguing with their spouse and they'll feel the presence of God say, just close your mouth and watch what I do. I can't tell you how many times that has worked for my wife. <laughs> moving on. She's been the one. Who, moving on. Eight words. Eight, what are you not doing because you don't think it's significant? What is God saying? And it's so simple, and we don't do it because we think it's inconsequential. I was thinking about Nahum. Remember Nahum goes to Elijah the prophet? Nahum the leper, for those who don't know, Nahum's a leper, and he goes to Elijah, the great prophet of Israel, and he goes and he's like, turns up with his entourage, because he's a famous general, he turns up with the entourage, and Elijah doesn't even come out of the room. He just sends somebody else, you know, like, you know, Ruby, just go tell that guy. Dip in the Jordan seven times, he'll be healed. That's it. And so come up here real quick, Ruby. Jump, 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 jump. No, actually jump. I want to see that. Yeah, you did it. Good job. So you came to the great pastor. I just like saying great pastor. That was a really good spot for an amen. Thank you, Rachel. And you're not lazy and I love you. (laughs) Moving on. Imagine you come to the great pastor and he sends Ruby. Lame. Sorry. And he sends Ruby out and he says, just go dip in the Jordan seven times. Just go. I was going to say Bob in the dam, but there's children here. Do not go in the dam. Moving on. But just go do this little simple task. He doesn't come out with his big nothing, just sends Ruby out. You know, sometimes Jesus just sends Ruby. I know. Blown away, right? Sometimes Jesus just sends a ruby across your path with eight words that will change your life. It's a message for you and a message for her because Ruby, when you get a word for someone, share it. Thank you. You're awesome. Give her a hand. Oh, she's so awesome. Eight words, inconsequential. Eight words didn't seem like a big deal. Change the nation. Nahum nearly missed his miracle because when they said dip in the Jordan, he went, not dipping in the Jordan, filthy river. There's another river in my own country that's so much better. That lame prophet didn't even turn up. I thought he would have waved his hand over me and healed me of leprosy. He just sent some other schmuck out. And he was riding home, ticked off. I'm giving you the fill version. And his servants were smart enough to say, What he asked you to do was so simple. If he had asked you to do something really big and really difficult, you would have gladly done it. But he asked you to do something so simple. Sometimes the miracles are hidden in the simplicity of the message. 
Sometimes what God is actually saying to you that will change your marriage, your ministry, your business, the world, the country, the nation is so simple that we miss it and it seems inconsequential, right? Can I just encourage you? If God's speaking to you about something, no matter how small you think it is, just do it. It's like the Nike ad, just do it. Just do it. You never know what miracle lies behind, what mission lies behind the I don't want to do it. So we just step out and we start to do it. Is that good? Yeah. Okay, let me, I've got to get through this really quickly because we're going to run out of time otherwise. So we got sometimes inconsequential, sometimes just inconvenient. Somebody else said fear up the back, Callum. How many people sometimes just, I'm fearful of man. I'm, I'm jumping in this really quick. I walked onto a job site. I was sharing this with somebody. Walked onto a job site, felt God tell me to this angry painter who I just walked into who had given me a, a whole repertoire of abuse and colourful words that didn't make me feel warm and fuzzy. And God says to me, tell him his wife doesn't have to leave. And I'm like, no thanks. <laughs> I feel like the Ice Age. No thanks, I choose life. <laughs> And God says, tell him. And I didn't tell him. True story. And I went home and the next day, a couple of days later, I should say, I went back there and I was sanding down the plaster that I'd done. And He was a broken man. And I said, hey, mate, how, how you doing? He looked at me with tears in his eyes. He said, my wife left last night. I, felt, I had never felt smaller in my whole life. Just tell him his wife doesn't have to leave. What conversation would that have opened up? What prophetic declaration would that have done for this man? I didn't do it. How many times does God give you a simple statement? Eight words for Jonah changed the entire nation. But at first he said, no thanks. No thanks, I don't want to do that. Maybe he thought it was inconvenient. Maybe it was just inconsequential. Maybe he was fearful of what it's going to be if he walks around and says, hey, God's going to destroy this place. Are you following me this morning? How often are we held back from the fear of man so we don't do what God says because we're fearful of what they may think? Sometimes, Ash said it before, distractions. So true, isn't it? We're just distracted. When Jesus was talking to his disciples one day, he, he said to them, he talked about the parable of the sower. And he said, you know, some of the seed falls on hard soil and some of the seed falls on good soil, but there's rocks underneath and some of the seed falls on soil where there's weeds that choke up and some of the seed falls on good soil and it produces a fruit. His disciples went to him after. They said, well, what does that even mean? And he begins to unpack it. But when he got to this one, he says to them, and I'm just going to read it to you in Mark chapter 4, verse 18. He says, now these are the ones sown among the thorns they are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. God tells you to do something and you just get so busy that you don't get to do it and it chokes the viability of that word and it never produces what it was meant to produce sometimes. It's just because we're distracted. If God gives you something, write it down. If God gives you something, step out and do it straight away. Are you still following me this morning? Yeah. Come on, let me give you a couple more. This <clears throat> Deal with disillusionment and discouragement. Some of you are sitting here and you go, God's spoken to me and I did it and nothing happened. 
and I'll go, and? Well, I just didn't want to do it again. Or I did it and I just got backlash. Or I did it and it just hurt. And so I got discouraged and I got disillusioned and I don't want to do it anymore. And I want to say to you, deal with your discouragement and disillusionment. And I'm not going to go through the whole book, but one of my favourite people in the Bible is the story of Joseph, who dreams a dream that he will one day be in a high-privileged position And the next day, his brothers are throwing him into a well. And then they're selling him as a slave. And then he's thrown into a prison. And are you following me along? Nothing was going good. And I could see him very easily going, forget it. I've got a word. I've got, you know, you could almost see God. I've got another word for you, Joseph. No, thank you. I'm good. The last one wasn't all that good. The last one got me sold as a slave. The last one meant my brothers hated me. The last one got me put into a pit. I'm okay with not getting any more words. But I want to say to you, deal with your discouragement and your disillusionment. Because sometimes it's through that process that God begins to grow you. And eventually Joseph, for those who didn't know, ends up becoming the second ruler in all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And he saves the nation. Ultimately, he saves his family. Because he dealt with his discouragement and disillusionment. And I can't tell you how many ministries and marriages and other things that I've seen and businesses that have failed because the person wouldn't deal with their discouragement and disillusionment. It's just too hard. I give up. I quit. Can I say, if God speaks to you, just keep pushing in and pushing in and pushing in. Well, how long do I push in for? Until you see the result God promised. Now, I'm going to go to this. I don't think any of those are particularly what was holding Jonah back. He wasn't disappointed. He wasn't disillusioned. He wasn't discouraged. He didn't think it was inconsequential. He didn't think it was inconvenient. The thing he had to deal with was unforgiveness. We're going to read from Jonah 3, verses 6 to 10. It says, The word came to the king of Nineveh. The word that Jonah had been speaking came to the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, he laid aside his robe, and he covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil ways and from his violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God, everyone say, then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil ways and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. Eight words changed an entire nation. Eight words caused the people to repent and caused God to relent. Eight words spoken by a prophet in a right time, in the right season, caused the people to repent, caused God to relent from the anger that was going to come upon them. Isn't that amazing? That's how you put the eye back into missions, by dealing with the little things, by dealing with your discouragement, by dealing with inconsequential, by dealing with being inconvenienced and by dealing with unforgiveness. And I'm going to get to that point because chapter 4 says, wouldn't you think, by the way, if you'd given eight words and a nation repented, wouldn't you be like, yes, Lord, I am the man or woman? No, just me. 
If you spoke eight words to your friends and your friends got saved, if you spoke eight words into your business and your business got saved, if you spoke eight words into your marriage and your marriage was fantastic, eight words into your family and your family prospered, eight words. If you spoke eight words and things turned around mightily, wouldn't you be pretty amazed with that? And we read in verse four, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. <coughs> I've got to hurry. But do you know why he became angry? Because the people of Nineveh were scumbags. The people of Nineveh had been attacking the Israelites for years. The people of Nineveh would go in and steal the crops and they'd send another raiding party to slay their women and children and they'd send another raiding party to take people as slaves and then they'd wait a while till another crop came and they'd steal more crops. And to be honest, Jonah, when he got that message, he wasn't hoping that they'd repent. He wasn't hoping that God would relent. He was hoping that they would be punished. He was hoping, man, these guys are going to get it. But he knew God's heart. He knew God's heart. And he knew that God didn't want to hurt those people. And so that's why he didn't want to go. He was hoping they'd get a good dose of justice. And if I go and give them hope and give them a message that may turn them, man, I don't want them to receive that. I want them to get what's coming. And so when they relented, when they repented and God relented, he was displeased and angry. We're all sitting here, aren't we? We're like, that would never be me. <laughs> well, I shared this morning with the leaders as we talked in our prayer meeting before the service started. How often do we forget that Jesus comes in the flesh? How often do we forget the next person through the door is created in the image of God? And, and unfortunately, can we be honest for a minute? Unfortunately, some people smell. Some people look weird. Some people dress weird. Some people use different pronouns. Ooh. Some people have different thoughts and different ideas. And see, we would just prefer that God would get them. And that's not God's heart. God's heart is that he would get them and that he would bring them to himself. That's what God wants to do, to draw people to himself. I'm going to read the final verse. Because when Jonah didn't get it, God caused this beautiful tree to grow up over Jonah. Then he sent a worm to eat the tree and Jonah was filthy that this beautiful tree had been destroyed by a filthy worm. And Jonah 4 verse 10 says, But the Lord said, You have had pity on a plant for which you did not labour, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. Verse 11, And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and much livestock. At the end of the day, I want to say this, the way we put the eye back into missions is we take the focus off what I want to do and we start asking, what is it you want to do? We take the focus off the me and we start looking at somebody else and we start going, God, can you give me your eyes to see them? Can you help me love them and minister to them the way you once ministered to me? Can you help me speak a word of kindness and grace? Can I have the music team to come?
as we celebrate this month, missions, those people who've gone out, they've gone out from our house, they've gone to different places, different nations, different countries, some we've never met, some we have met. But I want to say this, as we celebrate Missions Month, can I say missions isn't about them, it's about us. It's about realising that we all have a role to play. It's about recognising that sometimes the way we put the eye back into missions is to realise it might be inconvenient, that it might seem inconsequential, that we might have to deal with fear of man. Sometimes we might have to deal with our own discouragement and disillusionment. And sometimes we have to deal with our prejudices that we hold. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I want to finish with this thought. I just want to ask, Holy Spirit, would you move across the lives of the people in this place? And if we're holding on to any prejudice, if we have people in our life that we'd prefer not to minister to, that we'd prefer not to see here on a Sunday, that we'd prefer not to see saved by your grace, Father, forgive us. Because each and every one of us here today are saved only by the grace of God. Not by what we did so no man could boast, but by your grace and your grace alone. So Father, let us now be carriers of this grace and this hope into a world. Help us to be your missionaries right here in this nation. Help us to see people the way you see people, to love people the way you love people. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, that everyone said, Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We hope you enjoyed the service. We are praying for you and we will see you next week.